Continuing on in Exodus chapter 18, my name is Hans, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Genesis, and we have been marching through the book of Exodus. We do a whole chapter today, and that chapter is one that I would say it's often, we often don't know how to handle it. Um, and I'm not like swooping in as some expert to go, well, here's how you handle it. Like, that's just not my style. But we just kind of look at it and go, I'm not sure what to do with this, so let's just make this about uh, having an org chart. That seems to be what it's about. Like, you got to have an org chart, or no one can lead all, all by themselves. Like, they create all these things they do. So they use Exodus 18 as like their marker for all of these. Uh, but there, I think a little, there is a little more going on in this passage than just let's get an org chart and let's have different kinds of leaders for things because that's often where people go with it. Now, have you ever noticed that when you ask people how they're doing, they won't often say bad because we're, you know, from Texas, we're never bad. They won't say bad, but they might say like good, but man, I've been busy, busy. It's like this, we just love to talk about how busy we are. Or we at least love to let you know that we've been busy. We don't necessarily have to say how busy we are, but it's like, who man, I'm just so busy. Got, got all these things going on. My kids are driving me crazy. It's just, whew. I don't know what I need a break. Then you get a break. And you don't know what to do with it. But you just, you know, sit there like, man, I, you go on vacation, right? You come back, and then you're like, I need a vacation for my vacation. I was too busy on my vacation. All right. Funny little thing, just as an aside, there was actually a group of Harvard researchers who determined a good reason to break plans off with people. And the, the answer, I'm too busy, was looked at far more negatively than I can't afford it. So just as a note, if you want to break off plans with people, don't say I'm too busy, just say it's too expensive. That makes them look poorly on, or like have compassion on you for not having enough money rather than them saying, like, oh, okay. Because if you say you're too busy, that's kind of saying, I've made choices of which you cannot be a part. But if you say I can't afford it, it's like saying you've made choices that I can't be a part of. <laughs> See the difference? Right? So one's them, the other's you, so that one makes you look better. Yeah. Come for the sermon, stay for the advice. <laughs> but then you get a little break. Whatever it might be. You get a break in your schedule. It's summertime, so we're going to break. Our kids aren't in school yet. We were just praying in our little huddle this morning for everybody going back to school. Because that's starting soon. If it hasn't started yet, we're all going to be mad at each other again. But you get a break. You put your feet up. You take a moment. What happens? Somebody goes, hey, can you get together? What do you say? Man, I have just been so busy. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to do anything. I just can't, I can't handle it. I, just, I, just, I need a break. You're like, cool, well, let me know when that breaks over. Like, well, when that breaks over, I'm going to be too busy. So you're either too busy to see people or you're not so busy to see people that you can't really handle stuff. I don't know why it makes us feel important. I mean, maybe it's just something about looking good, operating the flesh. I don't know why it makes us feel so important to tell people that we're always so busy and, in fact, too busy for them, uh, which goes against what Jesus, Jesus always seemed to have time for people. Yeah, we don't, um, but Whatever. So whatever it is that's going on in us that makes us feel too busy, I want us to actually take that in mind as we look at Exodus chapter 18, because it's a, it, to me, is, is a pretty cool chapter. 
Our life operates certainly in, in rhythms. We have times where we go hard. We have times where we break. We have times where, right, every employer, like, hey, how much vacation do I get? How many sick days do I get? What about this? What about that? <clears throat> so we want to know, like, what's the benefits package and how can I handle this? And will we go on vacation here, here, and here? Or we do these things or we take these trips? We know our life has rhythms. For those who have kids in school, it, I mean, it just fairly and probably appropriately revolves around your school rhythm. Like, hey, we run hard here, we do this then, then we have a little break, we change, you know, it's just how it goes. No one goes 100 miles an hour every day. But I want to know what you do when you're going 20 miles an hour. What happens in that moment where the RPMs come backwards and maybe life throttles back just a little bit and you have time to think and you have time to reflect, like what, what opportunities might God actually present to you in those moments where you're not just putting out a fire or fighting a battle? You know, in Exodus 18, the story of Moses and Jethro, a father-in-law meeting with his son-in-law, which for some of you is miraculous as anything, <clears throat> having a long conversation with your father-in-law, giving and receiving advice and speaking of the Lord. Now, there are some similarities to what we just saw in Exodus chapter 17. That was the battle with the Amalekites, right? The Amalekites are there. They're battling. The arms up. You win. Your arms down. You lose. The, 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 the weakness of Moses and the need for support and the power of God to bring victory in a battle. One of my old seminary professors put the contrast between 17 and 18, chapter 17 and chapter 18, like this. The story of Jethro's visit contrasts with the Amalekite confrontation. One came to fight. The other came to seek knowledge. With one, there was war. With the other, judging and mediating for peace. With one, Moses' hands grew heavy, and with the other, his work was too heavy. And you see differences in how these two things happen. Now, interesting, though, in chapter 18, and this is one of the things I love about it, <clears throat> is that to this point in the book of Exodus, we've had no problem like, moving over months of time. Like, like the, as we read, like, and now it was in the second month, or it was in the third month, and we were kind of blowing through months. And from the wilderness or the uh, Red Sea parting to where we're going to get in chapter 19, that's a three-month span. But what do we get in chapter 18? But a zoom in on two days. So we slow down for two days. And what are these two days? Well, think about it. The, the plagues are done. You have gone from through the sea. You've seen the army of Pharaoh destroyed. You've grumbled but still seen God's provision in your grumbling. You have battled the Amalekites. This is like an off day. It's really how it looks. It's like an off day. I mean, they have been going 100 miles an hour for months. And we get this zoom in on how life looked for two days. The battle's done. There's not a lot happening. This is just how life will go for them. And we see this interaction between Moses and his father-in-law as his father-in-law brings his family back to him to reunite. And what do we get to see in these two days? But the way God provided for his people, and I think in this what we can see is a model for maybe some of the things that God provides for us when we have those moments. So what do we see first? 
1 through 12. This, it's day 1 and day 2. Day 1 is verses 1 through 12. And we see Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, who's a priest of Midian, which means he's not a follower of Yahweh, right? He's not a follower of Israel's God. He's a priest of Midian. He employed Moses for 40 years before he left to go back. Moses left to go back to Egypt with his family, but now Jethro's bringing his family to him. So at some point in time between Moses setting out and going to Egypt, he sent his family back, it appears. And now Jethro, after, after the dust has settled, Jethro's bringing everybody back to him. And so they have a unique moment here. And what is provided in these first 12 verses but a moment to declare what God has done. That's what day one provides for Moses and Jethro. An opportunity to talk about what God has done. If you remember early in, again, in Moses' story, he, he, he fled to Midian because he had grown up in Pharaoh's house. He killed an Egyptian and ran. He provided for, as a protector, because he seems to have always been this protector, he provided for these sisters who were trying to bring water at a well, but they were being harassed by another group. He goes back. They go, hey, come back to our house. Like, my dad will want to meet you. And so all the sisters bring Moses back. Jethro is so excited to meet him that he gives one of his daughters to Moses in marriage. In Exodus 2, his name is Ruel. In Exodus 18, we're being introduced to Miss Jethro. Forty years later, he goes back into Egypt. And in Verse 1, we see this unification, a reunification. 18.1, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, listen to this, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. This is the reputation of God going before God's people. Jethro heard all that the Lord had done. And, and isn't, it, isn't it interesting even here? Think about this. So often when we are to talk to people about the Lord, which I know is like one of the hardest things we ever feel like we ever have to do, like to have a conversation with somebody about Jesus. Right? But, but here we have Moses talking to Jethro. For us today, New Testament believers, to go proclaim the gospel... We feel this incredible pressure to say everything and to have an answer for every potential concern that somebody might have. Like, well, if they do this, I'm going to do that, right? I'm going to zig when they zag. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to have my verse ready. I'm going to be able to knock it out because me sharing the gospel and somebody else coming to faith is what? Dependent upon me? Is it dependent upon, like, is, it, is that my job? Is my job to convince them? Like with all of my, you know, all my energy and to be able to disprove everything that they have to say or to continue to show them Jesus. Now, I certainly want to persuade. I, I want them to see the goodness of God. I want them to see that Jesus is real. But I, I can't out-argue them because we're dealing not with craftiness but with lightness, light and dark. The Lord shines light in darkness. And I bring the Lord. You bring the Lord. But we just feel like we have to do all the work. But, but what do we see here? And what do we see is, is a model, even, even in the Old Testament, that we see, that we see this. That so often, God's reputation has gone before you. 
that God has prepared people for you to speak with. For example, Joshua 2, 9 and 10, you can just scribble this down. Rahab tells the spies who are entering the land that God will give, God's going to give them the land. She's already heard. Rahab says, I've already heard what your God has done for you. And so she gives shelter to the spies. Solomon, the, the wisest man who's ever lived, 1 Kings chapter 10, the queen of Sheba comes to him because she had heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. I'd heard of you and I've heard of your God. In the New Testament, specifically the book of Acts, there's this group of people in the book of Acts that are called God-fearers. And it's kind of this different category. So there, there's... there's Jewish people, some of those are Jewish believers. There are Gentiles. And then there's these God-fearers who are looked at as Gentiles who are interested in the Jewish faith and the Jewish Messiah. Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 is somebody who is curious about the things of God. In fact, Acts chapter 10 is the passage where the Holy Spirit comes on the Gentiles. Peter sees it and he's like, huh, well, that's different. Clearly, this is for everyone. Acts chapter 10 is this pivotal point in the book of Acts where you see the movement of God expanding beyond what was expected. But even before that, remember the Ethiopian eunuch? All right, there's a story there, and he's traveling along, and what's he doing but reading from Isaiah? Reading from Isaiah. Walk up, he's like, what are you doing? He's like, how am I supposed to know what this means if no one's there to tell me? In Acts chapter 13, the Apostle Paul is speaking. He's a Jewish man, and he gives a speech, and his speech begins like this as he's testifying about the Lord. Men of Israel and you who fear God. You hear that? Acts chapter 17, verse 17, speaks of God-fearing and devout Gentiles. So let's go back to Moses, Acts chapter 18. Or I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 18. Moses is there in a famine reunion, in a sense. right? He's there at a famine reunion. God has saved them out of Egypt. He has this moment. And what does he get but someone in his life who has already heard about what God has done and who wants to hear more? He wants to hear more. Now, what could Moses have said if he's kind of operating like you and I often do? Hey, Jethro, thank you for my family. We are so tired. I have not seen them in a while looking forward to the visit that we might make, but I'm just going to take a little bit of time. Is that what happens? No, I mean, you have, you have your Bibles. Look at there. Look at verse 8. He shares, Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and this, all the hardship that came upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced. For all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So what does Moses do? But he takes the opportunity that is before him to declare what God has done. He speaks of what God has done. A story of God's power. A story of God's salvation. A story of hardship. But ultimately, deliverance. Now, I want to speak to the 
the Christian in the room, I think that's most of us, but to, to, to the Christian in the room, to the follower of Jesus, I want to say this. You have a story to tell people. It is a story of what God has done and what God is doing. And it's also a story of what God has done for you. So it's just, this is what God is doing, and this is who God is, and this is true, and this is how it's changed me. You have a story to tell. You were saved by grace. You were in sin. You were trapped there, but Jesus rescued you. He has changed you. He loves you. He is yours. You are his. He's coming again, and you will live with him in a resurrected body. You have a story to tell. You have the mighty and saving hand of God that is due to be declared. To declare and to speak of. It does not even seem that Moses is ultimately concerned that Jethro somehow makes some decision in this moment. His concern is to speak of what God has done. Now, that's what we get to do. We get to speak of what God has done. We get to talk to people about what the Lord has done. I was with a friend the other day. We were having lunch together. We, were, we, don't, we didn't know each other super well, and so we were just telling stories. I wanted to hear what are some of the most important moments in your life? What's changed you? What's kind of formed you to be who you are? And so I got to hear things I had never heard before about him. And, oh, this, this situation, when this happened, and this situation, when that happened. And it was awesome to get to hear what, what was going on in somebody's life. So then he turned the tables on me and he said, hey, where were some of the most important moments in your life? I mean, if that's not a softball, right? Like, well, let me tell I mean, the Lord saved me. I mean, we're talking about pivotal moments. Yeah, like, like here's, here's what happened. It was just some guy sitting in a room. Somebody was sharing about what Jesus had done. I heard it before. I didn't really care. But then, then something happened. And when I heard about the work of Jesus that time, it mattered more than the times I had heard it prior. And I went to speak to somebody, and I just said, I need to change. I need to change. We have a story to tell. We have a story to tell. The good, and this isn't, you don't even have to say it like this. You don't have to say, well, this is, this is what I believe. Like, you can just say, this is what's true. Right? It captured me. I pray it captures you. Right? We don't have to present it as like, well, this is my truth. What's your, like, you just say it. You just say it. An off day in the desert and what gets to happen? But Moses gets to tell his father-in-law about how God had delivered them. These moments are, are not hard to come by in one sense, but they are hard to come by because we are always contending with our flesh. As I've said before, when we have opportunities to talk about the Lord with people who don't know him but maybe are interested in him or just not sure, it's like never before do you have an urge to mop the floor, but at that moment, you're like, man, this floor is dirty. Got to mop. Like we always find these other things to do in these moments and just to kind of step in and go, well, this is what God has done. There are so many other parts of our life that we have no problem talking about. You often don't have a problem talking about your kids, 
their activities, your marriage, your job, the things you like, the things you don't like, your diet, your non-diet, whatever that might be. All these things we, we talk about. How you view about political issues or cultural issues, like, yeah, we'll go there all day. But your savior? That's often the one where I kind of like, eh, I don't want to offend you. I'm like, man, I tell you what, there's a greater offense, and it's offending God forever. Like, if we could just pick worse offenses, probably the one where you just stay an enemy of him until you die, that's, that's probably more significant than gaining or losing a friend to just talk to them about who Jesus is. Now, in this instance, how did the story end? It ended with worship. Look at 10 and 12, 10 through 12. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron, right, Aaron a priest, came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Now there's some conversation about 10, 11, and 12 as to whether or not this was Jethro's, as much as we can understand it, conversion. Did he actually put faith in the God of Israel? Did he, did he, was he changed at that moment? Did he become a part of that? Or did he just, in a sense as a priest, recognize something and kind of add in, well, there's a superior God amongst all the gods that I might worship. For the chance that people might say, well, I don't really know if he did or didn't. Uh, he wasn't brought in through circumcision, right? That's kind of a mark of a covenant. And so that did, we have no evidence that, that happened. But at the same time, there's a recognition in verse 11 that the Lord is greater than any other God. And, and what are we going to get to in Exodus chapter 20 when we get to the Ten Commandments, but the Lord's saying, I'm the Lord of God, there, but you'll have no other gods before me. And so we have this moment in Jethro's life that does seem to be transformative. There's then sacrifice in verse 12, and even this meal that they share together. Ultimately, the fate of Jethro, we don't know. We'll get to heaven and go, there he is or there he isn't. We're not going to know. But I'll say specifically, on the whole, I'm optimistic. Not that my optimism one way or the other changes something that happened back in like 1440 BC. But I'm optimistic because of what he saw and what he declared and how he responded in worship. So we have that first day. That first day of downtime in the desert where things are just going on. What happens but what appears to be an hours-long conversation about the work of God in the life of the nation shared with a father-in-law. I just think that's amazing. I think it's amazing that the book of Exodus, with all that is going on in the book of Exodus, all the plagues that we've read about, the fact that we have to get to the law, the law hasn't shown up yet, we're not there, we have, we have laws and statutes that Moses is helping to administer, but we haven't had the declaration, the writing of the law, we don't have that. <clears throat> and what does the Lord slow down to show us but a private conversation between family members about the goodness of God? And what can that teach us but to maybe when the Lord slows down our day, 
brings people into our lives that he has prepared. That we just speak. Speak of God. Talk to others about him. I, I, like that we remove the concern of well, like where might this lead or how, I, how might I be you, but you just talk about it because it happened. <clears throat> because it happened. And that's just day one. Day two, I love day two. 13 through 17, we're gonna see some, uh, we see instruction about the people and what they were doing. We see some of how Moses functioned for the people. Like that's all that we're starting to see is that Moses' Moses's hands are going weary, he's getting tired. So apparently while all this is going on, when they have their off days that we don't really see about, see much of in the book of Exodus, when they have these, what is Moses having to do but give the answer to every question? Now, and I, and I mean, this is, of course, not an apples to apples comparison, but it's like when there's a startup, or you can say a church plan. You can just say that, if you want to say it like that, like, and you just go, well, I don't know who to talk to. Let's talk to Moses. He's the guy who let us out of here. <clears throat> ask Moses. I don't know. Ask Moses. Ask Moses. Or if you do this in your family, it's like, ask your dad. There was literally somebody in Baton Rouge who I would email, and her email was, ask your dad. <clears throat> that, was the, that was the wife. That was just, just, she just went full on, ask your dad. I liked that. And so Moses has been functioning for the people as essentially the answer to all things. Now, I don't think this was necessarily a bad thing. Like, this was, like it was bad and that it was exhausting, but that's how he was functioning because what else was he? He didn't, mean, he didn't have much time, let's just put it that way, between going into Egypt with the power of God and whatever moment this is in 18, he didn't really have a lot of time to think about how to structure people. <clears throat> that wasn't the highest priority when you got the Amalekites down there. The law is about to come. You're trying to bring people into a land. Like, you're not sitting there going like in your staff meeting. Like you can see, put the staff there like as a joke. Get it? Like, okay, forget it. <clears throat> Just seeing if you're listening. So you go, hey, how should we organize these people? What do, you, what do you think we should do? That's just not the highest priority. And so we recognize now everyone's going to Moses to try to get every answer. They want everything from, hey, what do I do about this? Or, you know, <clears throat> their, their cat's bothering me and this is annoying and I want to borrow their, you know, their cattle for something and <clears throat> I think their plot of tent is better than mine. <clears throat> Sounds familiar. <clears throat> so Jethro gives some answers because Moses had been functioning as leader prophet, and judge. He's been all these things, right? The one declaring what God has said, the one who is leading them, and the one who is apparently helping them to make judicial decisions. He was small claims court. All right, I want the lawnmower, Moses. He's like, okay, I'll go to the Lord and see whose lawnmower it is. Now, the reason I say this is the classic leadership passage, because really, leadership books are a dime a dozen for one, and I've read a lot, I've said before, but we use this passage for everything, which I just find hilarious. We would say, hey, this is why you need to delegate. This is why you need to have teams. This is why you have to have plurality. This is why you have to have an org chart. And I just think it's funny that we build like our whole leadership structure off of an Old Testament passage from Exodus chapter 18 when they're in the desert that we don't even see as a way to really function as the nation gets established in the land. But like we take this and we're like, we hang a whole lot on it. <clears throat> 
But what's happening is important. In fact, there's a, there's a teaching from both Pastor Professor Ligon Duncan, and, and the way he writes is, you know, there's just, a lot of people are smarter than me, no doubt there. And when I read what he was saying, I said, that's a, that's a good way to put it. That what is happening here is that, that God is providing through Jethro for Moses a way to help the people walk with God. That they have, they have to walk with him, live life with him. And if they all have to wait around for Moses to be able to give an answer, well, you're just, I mean, if you've ever waited for court, at court for anything, it's just a bunch of people in a room waiting. Then they might call you in. Like you're just sitting and waiting. you got to book the whole day. You can't do anything else. So all these people who want to hear something from Moses, and Moses is totally spent because not only does he have to do that, but he also has to then inquire of the Lord. It just can't be carried. But the important thing is not just Moses, hey, you're going to get burned out. But for the nation, they need to be able to walk with God. And so understanding his ways and understanding his will and understanding how to operate in his laws, that's going to matter for them. And if everybody's waiting on Moses, then what do you have to do? But you can't actually live your life. You can't actually walk with God because you're just waiting. So Jethro hears in verse 17, what you're doing is not good. Verse 18, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. So in this day too, Jethro has an opportunity to say to Moses, there's a better way for you to walk and there's a better way for them to walk. He was doing too much and he was tired and it was unsustainable. But when that was going on, the people couldn't do what they needed to do which was to live their lives faithfully before God. They just had to wait for Moses to be able to answer their concern. And imagine, right, hundreds of thousands or millions of people, they're all there, like they're, they're, and, and you're having to give response. I mean, I have three children, and if I gave my children the attention of like every scenario and how to work it out, I would never have a day. So multiply that by thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands, trying to figure out what to do, it would be difficult. So what does Jethro do? He says to Moses, Moses, you be the one who inquires of the Lord. You have a role. You have a thing that you must be doing. And you can teach that to the people. But not only that, you have capable, God-fearing, trustworthy men that you can order so that they can help with small matters. And in part, so they can move on with their day so that they can live for the Lord. And so you don't have to do all these things. And then as large matters come up, you can handle the large matters. Then verse 23. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all the people also will go to their place in peace. I think that for us is is the key of this day two. If you do this, God's going to lead it, You'll last, and the people will be able to live peacefully. 
Like that's the end game for the structure. You last, God, God leads, people live in peace. So Moses is benefited, and the people are benefited. Moses can teach and declare as is needed, and the people can have their issues resolved more quickly. But the goal is not just to have your issues resolved more quickly. That's not the end game. It's so you can live your life peacefully with God and with his people. It isn't just about Moses or just about the people, but how these people can function for God. Now, it's interesting, and what I, what I love about this is just two days. Day one, the family reunion that results in worship, speaking of what God has done. Day two, Jethro now gets to kind of just look and go, hey, let me, it's kind of like, can I go to work with you? Yeah, come on. And he sees how he works, and he says, I, I promise you that's not going to last. It will not work. And so they get to kind of reorder things. In two days, two days, there's not a battle to fight. There's, right, a war to be won. The plagues are behind us. Right now, they're marching to Sinai. Next week in chapter 19, they're before the mountain of God. That's where they're going to be. And, and the Lord is going to descend and he's going to reveal themselves to the people of Israel as they had not seen prior. They have not had an Exodus 19 experience yet where the mountain's rumbling and it's like, do not step on that mountain or you will die. All that's coming next week. But even in this, God is preparing and structuring and ordering so that as he reveals and as he teaches, like there's a, there's a way for the people to engage with God. They're actually getting prepared for what's gonna come as they stand at the mountain and Moses goes up and he brings, the Lord brings to the people the way that he wants them to walk. Two days. Two days that were just transformative. We hope for a man in Jethro and for a nation in how they could walk and what Moses was able to do to not exhaust himself as a leader and what the people were able to do to be able to walk with God. Now, I was, I was on the phone with my friend. Like, this is sometimes, I rarely ever plan a sermon by myself. Uh, it is the result of interaction throughout a week with multiple friends. I take screenshots of outlines and I text them over and I go, hey, take five seconds, look at this, give me one thought. Like, I'm really persnickety about it because somebody's like, well, you want I have one friend who's always like, you want to have a phone call about it? I'm like, nope, I don't want to have a phone call about it. I don't like the phone. You can give me a thought or you can move on, but like, that's it. Uh, so, so, but I did want to talk to my friend Steve. So we're running through this thing and I'm kind of walking through this passage. Like, okay, so, so what do we have here? And here's a cool observation is that this is the first friendly nations encounter that we have. Right, that the Midianite is coming to Moses. Now it is family, but then that Midianite who hears of what God has done goes back to his people and what would he likely do to speak of the things that he just talked with his son-in-law about? They're not far from where Midian is. And so we get to see this nation's encounter where 
another nation comes to the people and they hear of God. Well, isn't that what God had already started to say was going to happen to even Abraham? That through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And what do we get? But even in Genesis 12, when that was spoken, we get a Midianite being blessed by God because he recognizes the power and authority of God in saving a people and says he's better than all other gods. We get an encounter of a nation with the one true God. So, so God's heart, I, just, I always have to say this, God's heart for his glory in the world did not start in the New Testament. It started in the garden. Like That's where it started. That God's desire has always been for the world to know him. That you will fill the world with my image bearers. It didn't take us long to screw it up. And then what does he do? But he selects a family... And through that family, the world will be blessed. Through that family, the Messiah comes. But the end game of the whole world worshiping a risen Lord Jesus was already happening. That's where it's going. And so when we get to see in Exodus 18, but another part of that, a Midianite saying, blessed be your God, who's better than all gods. So I'm talking to my friend Steve. We're having a, just a blast having this conversation because I'm like, hey, look at this and look at this and look at this. But then this happened. We're talking about day one. We're talking about day two. And you get to see this. What happens on day one? But the declaration of God and his work and his power. What happens in day two? But a structuring of the people that helps for him, helps for them to walk in his ways. Isn't that what Jesus instructs us to do? Isn't that what he's instructed us, his, his church, to do? You, you may have heard it. Say like this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you take the member class, we're going to have one, I think, in September. But if you want to join Genesis, take the member class, I'm going to go through this passage with you. Because the baptizing work that Jesus calls us into, calls his disciples into, I would say is the work of proclamation. There are no converts in mass at this point in time in Matthew chapter 28. And so when he's saying, go and make disciples, baptizing them, that's the initial identification that comes through faith in Jesus, right? So the, the first work is a work of declaration, to speak of God, to speak of what he's done, to speak of the power of Christ and how he saves. And then what's the next thing that Jesus says? But to teach them to obey all that I have commanded. Well, what happens in day two in Exodus 18? We need to help these people. We need to help them walk with God. We need to help them get their issues resolved. We need to help them live their life faithfully. You can't do it all. They can't wait on you. There's more important things at hand. But what do we see here in this flow day one, day two? What does Jesus teach us even as we're to go out? Speak of God and help people walk with him. Declare the gospel. Help people walk. That it is this two-prong, always, right foot, left foot, right? We declare and we train. We declare and we train. We declare and we train. So I ask you these two questions. Where might you declare? Specifically, who in your life might God be preparing Maybe your prayer is not a person, right? I don't think Moses was targeting Jethro in this sense at all. 
But maybe the prayer is just, God, God, could I be aware? Could you make me aware of, of, of how you've prepared people? That I could, I could not be so focused on myself and my own needs and my own desires that when somebody crosses my path, I can speak of you. I can talk about you. I can just share what's true and what you've done. That's all Moses does in that moment. Let me tell you what God's done. And that's what happens there. You don't need to feel this pressure that sometimes I think we feel as the used car salesman evangelist. Like, what do I have to do to get you into this car today? You know, you can walk away. That's what you can do. Right? Like, so you don't have to be that person. Let me tell you what God's done. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? That was the question I asked to my friend when we were sitting at lunch. I said, do you think that's crazy? Do you think I'm crazy? You can tell me I think I'm crazy. That's fine. What do you think about that? So part one for me is just about awareness for us. What is God doing? Maybe in a down moment. Where all we want to do is be like, oh, I'm not going anywhere today and I'm not talking to anybody. And then your friend texts you, like, hey, you want to get together? And you want to say no? You want to say no because the first day you haven't had something to do in three weeks or whatever it is that you probably you're puffed up a little too much. But maybe you should go, yeah, I'll see you. I'll see you. Maybe it's that moment. Maybe that's the one God's providing. And you're like, but I'm tired. So what? I've talked to you guys enough. You're never not tired. All of you are always tired all the time. Right? Like, there's always something going on. I'm tired. My kids are tired. This is going on. That's going on. That's going on. I vacation too much or I ate too much or whatever it is. Like, you're always, always too tired. That won't work. So when God provides that opportunity, and he does, will you step into it and just speak of him? When you realize that the work of evangelism is really the work of God in the hearts of sinners, it becomes much easier it becomes much easier. You don't feel this burden to go, now how can I convince you this is true? Because it's not on you to convince somebody that it's true. Secondly, I want to ask you this question. How might you engage? It is summertime for a little longer, speaking scholastically. August, we start to kind of change gears, don't we? Here it is. It's August 1st. We start to change gears. We start to go, okay, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. We're not sure about this. So I want to ask you this question now. You're about to hit a new run. If you have kids, you're about to be in school, right? Like, I, I know that January 1 starts the new year, but like August, September is kind of where we start our brains. So you've had seven months off. Time to get going. I want to ask you this question. Where... Where might you walk in the spaces, even at Genesis, that exist to help you grow in the Lord? Right? We don't have all, like, we're not set up in thousands and hundreds and tens. We don't do that kind of thing. But there are spaces that if you want to walk with the Lord and walk with others so they might know you and you might understand the Lord better and understand his word better, we have spaces. We have spaces. Sometimes it is for us a matter of availing ourselves to those spaces. And when I talk to people and they're like, man, I really just don't feel like I'm growing much. I'm like, do you go anywhere? Do you do anything? Like you, you show up on Sunday one out of four times. You're in no group. You're in no space. Like I, I'm not magic. 
right? Like you have to actually be engaged in the life of the church if your desire is to grow the Lord. I can't, like it's a means that he gave us, right? Like, like one another is, is a means that he gave us to make us more like his son. And so if we're not going to avail ourselves to the one another that exists here in this room, no, well, good luck. I hope you have a lot of podcasts to listen to. Because you're, you're just not going to get to this spot of development and growth and service otherwise. And so there'll be opportunities, and we'll talk about them, ways to get involved in community groups perhaps. Maybe that's, maybe that's you go, I haven't done that in forever. I need to jump in. All our groups will kind of be launching at about the same time in September this year. We're going to be talking about just what it means to live life as a church family. So that'll be coming. Maybe you know, we'll have a couple of class opportunities for you. Maybe there's just something where you go, I just have to get better trained. And so as you hear these opportunities, my question is going to be, are you going to actually step into them? Or are you just going to kind of be watching going, hey, I really wish somebody would help me? Right? Like, like let's walk with the Lord together. Let's be in the spaces that exist here at a church. Let's be here together and worship. And let's find people in our lives that we can be with regularly. And let's discuss the scriptures together. And let's hear what he has for us. I'd encourage you to take that downtime. Maybe even if you have it at lunch, maybe you have it this evening, where there's not a lot going on, and you can ask the Lord and talk with your family and go, what, what might God have for us? I'm not going 100 miles an hour right now. What's next, God? What would you have for us? How could we move? How could we operate? How could we serve? How could we, how could we get engaged? Who could we know? Because yes, you're busy. I get it. There's always lots going on. But God is always providing time and people to declare him. And there are people even sitting around you, even sitting around you, who are interested in helping you walk with the Lord. Who want to do that. Two days in the desert with a father-in-law gave Moses an opportunity that helped the nation walk with God. Gave Moses an opportunity to speak of the goodness of God and the work that he has done. What opportunities might exist for you and for me and for us as we kind of head into a new run of church life?